would like to welcome to the podcast today, Brandon Reigns, state lawyer. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm going to read your bio. I know this is my favorite part. Brandon is an estate planning attorney who has a unique approach to his practice. He maintains a relationship with his clients long after his clients sign their documents. That's kind of important. Mm -hmm. And he particularly enjoys helping his clients identify and pass on to loved ones their values. Brandon cares deeply about helping inheritances be blessings and helping family union, units and individual family members reach their potential. I love it. Good. Awesome. <laughs> so my favorite question, okay. which is my first question that I always ask everybody, is what was your first job? Yeah, so I'm actually really grateful that I watched your previous podcast because I knew this was coming. <laughs> I had to think about it for a while. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, so my first job was at a um, uh, the fish department of a local grocery store in <laughs> Hokessen, in Hokessen, Delaware. Awesome. Otherwise known as Wilmington, Delaware, St. John. Probably haven't heard of that anyway. Nope. Mm -mm. No um, idea where that is. Nope, and that's okay. <laughs> Do you know where Delaware is? Yes. yes okay, I first things first. I could probably pick Delaware out on a map. Okay. Probably. So we need to include the link somewhere <laughs> in the description. I think it was Stephen Colbert or John Stewart did this thing on from the Colbert Show mm -hmm. about North and South Delaware and how they <laughs> just making fun of Delawareans because we think that there's such a big difference between the North and the South mm -hmm. parts of Delaware. But it's a tiny state. It is a tiny state, <laughs> but there is a big difference. So that's the funny thing is like, you were like, how can there be a North and a South Delaware? Oh my gosh. It's like, how can there be a North and a South Delaware? And I'm just watching. It was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, yep. They're right. <laughs> this is perfectly legit. That is so funny. So, so fish department. Fish department. Yep. So, um, and then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So back in that day, you know, I was sophomore, junior in high school. And so that was how, that was the, my first job and how it ended. Crazy. Basically, it was really interesting to see that impact on local business. I mean, I didn't appreciate it at the time, of course. Right. Just people were scared and, you know, they, they lost a lot of business temporarily because right. people were just scared because it's not 11. Yeah. So. I wonder if the impact on the East Coast was different than Probably. here. Yeah. Because well, I was there. Yeah. Well, Delaware is right in the middle. It's two hours from D.C. and it's two hours from New York. Yeah, it's really like close. It's right in the middle. So, and again, it's... I was too young to really appreciate it. I kind of wish I was a little older because mm -hmm. then I could have understood yeah. it a little better. Yeah. So, but, so yeah, no, it, it made things interesting for a while for, for a lot of people back then. I was there. a junior in college, I think. Okay. So, yeah. It was, yeah. But again, the impact on the East Coast was probably different than the impact here in Colorado. Probably. Yep. Sorry to, for such a serious serious turn already. No, no, no. You're totally fine. We'll just we're gonna we're gonna talk on. about we're death anyway. So yeah, let's talk about. No, 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 um, no so you ha your early work was in missions. Yeah, that was very interesting. So um, what was that experience like? And I yeah. did not know you were fluent in Portuguese. Yeah. So I'm LDS, or people call us Mormons, Mormons. members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. <laughs> when I saw where your house was, I was super excited because yeah, we have our, yeah, our temple the right five there. minutes away. Yeah, we can see it from the bedrooms. Yep. Yeah, awesome. There you go. It's so, pretty when they light it all up. It is pretty. Mm -hmm. So, and they have a nice um, life-sized nativity in the front yard too. So. I don't think we've seen that. I'll have mm -hmm. to go check it out. Yeah, only like the last week or two. This is holiday season, so that's okay. Yeah, I know. It's coming um, up. Yeah, so... Uh, so for two years, I lived in Portugal, serving a, serving a mission, just mm -hmm. talking about Jesus Christ and our church to the people that were there. Mm -hmm. um, 100% immersive in the culture and the language and all that stuff. We even um, 
So we're always in pairs. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the boys are paired up and, the, and mm -hmm. the, the sister missionaries and the elders are paired up. And we spoke Portuguese even, even among ourselves. The only thing that we did in English would, would, was mm -hmm. when we'd be reading in scriptures and stuff like that. That's crazy. So, but everything else was in Portuguese. So you so. learned Portuguese from the immersion or did you mm -hmm. learn before that too? So, uh, so when you're called on a mission and you're, you go to a missionary training center and they mm -hmm. have about maybe about a dozen across the world, the mm -hmm. main one is in Provo, Utah. Right. And I was there for, I think nine weeks mm -hmm. learning Portuguese, learning what we would be teaching the people and how to present and just mm -hmm. teaching methodology and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so pretty deep dive. And so the story for that, for me with Portuguese is I actually lived in Spain for two years because of my dad's job. He was a chemical engineer for DuPont and they had a plant up in Northern Spain. And so I learned Spanish when I was 13 to 15. And Spanish and Portuguese are really, really similar. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of came in with a little bit of a head start with Portuguese. And so learned the port learned Portuguese for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then the immersion. That's crazy. Was for, for, you know, 24 months, nine, minus nine weeks, whatever that is. I'm actually part Portuguese, so that's why really? I found that really, really we interesting. Really? We can be friends. <laughs> I don't know so. any Portuguese, though. <laughs> I can teach you. <laughs> <laughs> I know a ton of Spanish, though. So See, there you go. It's, it's really, really, they, it's they are very really, really similar. similar. Yeah. And then when I came back, so going back to the whole job thing, mm -hmm. I, I went to BYU, mm -hmm. which is in Provo. Right. And um, so I taught Portuguese at the Missionary Training Center to people who are for their, for their nine weeks at the beginning of their missions, I taught mm -hmm. for, I think, a year and a half or two years. I taught Portuguese and did all those things that I had mm -hmm. learned during my nine weeks at the beginning of my mission. I turned around and did that as well. Oh, while you were in college. Yeah, so that helped me put me through college. That's awesome. So yeah. do you use your Portuguese at all anymore? No, not really. <laughs> so, so my family's from the Madeira Islands. Okay, I lived there <laughs> for six months. Yeah. Madeira is paradise yeah so actually so here's portuguese so it's pronounced maveda right so d's are softened you mm -hmm. roll the r's and mm -hmm. then an ei makes a diphthong and a hard a sound so it's right. not madeira it's maveda right and so super famous for their wine george right. washington loved maveda wine i didn't know that yeah so yeah my family so immigrated in, from there so my grandma was the first one born here Okay. So that it was like super soon. Like yeah, we might not get to. Yeah, I know. We're not going to about this all day. <laughs> That's right. So, and so, but I lived in Portugal in the northern half. So Porto, okay. which is famous for its port wine. Right. So and you just so, had to drink wine all, on your missions. Right? Well, we don't drink wine. <laughs> at all. You're like, dang it, missed opportunity. Uh, well, I don't think you would think that, mm -hmm. but I've never had wine. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I can miss it because I've never had it. Yeah. Um, I would say missed opportunity. And so, but actually, see, there you go. Um, <laughs> But the other day on Facebook, so you should go to my Facebook page, yeah. my personal one, someone posted a link of just glamour shots of, of Maveda. Mm -hmm. And so you should go to my to my, to my my Facebook page. My, my dad's and been go there. Watch. Okay, your dad's. Yeah, so when I first went there, so I'd been in Portugal for about four, four and a half months before I went mm -hmm. to Maveda. And just the colors popped. Like, I, it was just a whole different so vibrancy yeah. there. And it was, it was awesome. We had... Because it's off the west coast of mm -hmm. Sahara, of, of the Sahara. Right. So there are a couple days where, during the summertime, um, uh, just uh, sand from the Sahara, just the western, really? just the western winds, just pushed it over and it just settled for a couple days, which is cool, but actually made it really hot because it trapped all the heat. Right. There That's interesting. During the summertime, but yeah, that so it would like, travel that far. 
yeah. So, but that was really cool. I was like, this is Sahara Desert. I'm really hot, but this is so cool. <laughs> I always, always say, um, like, because I keep trying to get my husband to move somewhere warmer. I was like, the island people and me need to That's be right. somewhere warmer. <laughs> Do you know like, where on Madeira your family's from? <sighs> Puerto Santo, I think. Okay, yeah, I think. I'm, uh, I'll also double check. Okay. I might have visited there once mm -hmm. or those might be some islands just off of some, from what i understand the that was a long time ago because me. there's like no jobs in madeira like there's nothing really to do unless yeah. you own the land that yeah. that that Probably. they're working mm -hmm. um that or construction most of our family is not there anymore because there's no jobs sure um and a lot of the time like the oldest sibling or the oldest male gets the land mm -hmm. and then all the other siblings leave because there's no jobs yeah. or no land or what they don't have any inheritance sure so that's what i was understanding from my dad he said there's like one super distant cousin that lives there that he got to meet um because my um one of my dad's cousins has been there like many times now mm -hmm. so when i go i'm taking my uncle phil <laughs> so he can like take me around and you know you show me where all the good wine is and let's... there you go okay well we're gonna bring it back that's right <laughs> okay <laughs> don't edit that out no no no, no. <laughs> that we was won't. so worth it no we won't <laughs> um so you spent some time in the utah courts next was that while you were in school yes yeah, so it's just during law school yeah so just part of the utah state tax commission mm -hmm. um just for a semester in law school. Some clerking stuff. Yeah, just clerking stuff. Yep. And then you were in Denver probate court too after that. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Is so that, that when you learned you wanted to do estate or did you know no, you so, wanted to do estate? So I wanted to go, I wanted to do estate planning, kind of went into law school wanting to do that. And so, um, so with, with law school, you need to be able to have really good grades or have really good networking. Right. Right. Or have really good networking or go, yeah, or go golfing. Um, I'm none of those things. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but we all, the plan, moving to Denver was always the plan. So I went to law school in University of Utah. Okay. And so law schools will tell you that they're a regional school. Well, mm -hmm. I'm part of the reason why Utah can call itself a regional school because I'm not in Utah. <laughs> Anymore. But mo yeah, that's right. You didn't right. go very far. <laughs> yeah. But most law schools, really what it is, it's market. Mm -hmm. You know, so University of Utah is the Salt Lake City market. BYU mm -hmm. is the Provo market. DU is Denver. And, and CU is Boulder. But there, obviously there's going to be some overlap there, right? Right. Um, and so I just knew that I needed to start getting some type of connection, some type of experience with Denver because my wife is a native, but we were coming from Denver, mm -hmm. uh, from Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just interned at Denver probate court. I didn't know anybody. And I, so I thought that would be a good, easy way to start understanding the lay of the land, getting some good experience with, with probate courts and, and just estate planning, estate administration, which is really after estate planning clients pass away, mm -hmm. turns into a state administration, the distribution of their assets mm -hmm. to their loved ones and stuff like that. So, so you got to really see the back end of mm -hmm. I mean, it was just for a summer, work. but it was good. Yeah. yeah. I think that's always good to be like, what is, you know, what happens on the end? Yeah. So totally. how did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? We're actually going to like pick <laughs> up a little. So that's a very practical answer. Uh, pretty much all my other options fell by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> so, because I got a bachelor's and a master's in history. Oh. And I graduated with a master's in 2010. Uh -huh. Completely the wrong time to graduate with a humanities degree. Right. Um, I moved here to find fame and fortune. I found my wife instead, which is <laughs> a good trade. You, I'll take it. Yep. And I washed windows. And okay. then my parents asked me to move back to Utah 
help out with some stuff because mm-hmm. um, by then they were in Utah. And I did landscaping until law school. And so while I was doing landscaping, I was like, okay, I have possibly teaching mm-hmm. religion to high school students right. or law school. And so I just kind of dual tracked and they, I wasn't cool enough to teach religion high schoolers. <laughs> and so law school it was. And so it was just very, very practical. Yeah. I need to do something. A master's in history isn't cutting it anymore mm-hmm. for one reason or the other. Right. Um, and so that's just what it was. And then with estate planning, take that a slightly further step, was um, I knew some attorneys in my local church. Mm-hmm. And they were just talking about different areas of practice and stuff like that. And they just mentioned estate planning. We talked about it a little bit. And it sounded great. It felt good. And decided to go to law school. And everything else during law school kind of fell by the wayside of mm-hmm. whether it was, well, Criminal law, for example, was never an option. <laughs> you couldn't imagine me doing criminal no, law. No, I cannot. Do that. <laughs> There's a reason why. <laughs> um, and so all these other things, they weren't options or they were they were possibilities, but they just fell by the wayside. Whether it's litigation, I was never really interested in litigation. Mm-hmm. That's not a good match with my personality mm-hmm. and who I like to be and, and stuff like that. Um, but I kept on running into estate planning attorneys in law school or or at my local church again, there's mm-hmm. an interesting theme there. Um, and just all of the positive things that I was hearing or that my intuition was telling me about mm-hmm. what estate planning would be offering me, whether it was the type of work or the type of people that I would work with or work-life balance, mm-hmm. and just satisfaction, general mm-hmm. happiness, stuff like that, were all being confirmed while all the, all the other possibilities were less interesting. Right, and so by the end of law school, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Basically. Yeah, accounting kind of found me, so yeah. I get that. I took an accounting class, and I was like, oh, so this is the thing that makes sense. I guess we'll just do this. There you go. <laughs> it was like that major works. number five. <laughs> I was like, there you are. Yeah, There's right. that thing. But I'm happy I found it. Like, yeah, I think definitely. a lot of people graduate like with a history degree or whatever, and they're just like, yeah. okay, now what do I do? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast about second uh, post-secondary education and because a lot of people found I think I could have sworn I saw a study maybe about a month or two ago saying mm-hmm. that humanities degrees actually do better in business than mm-hmm. business degrees but people badmouth me. humanities degrees all the time and how they're not connected to anything mm-hmm. and stuff like that and so there's and then you hear you know business schools they don't teach they don't prepare their students for actual business right so right. there's this massive disconnect between what people are learning what's in practice well because and, humanities teaches you to deal to understand people yeah right a lot of different you're ways. doing the sociology mm-hmm. you're doing yeah. you know the yeah. genealogies you're doing all the different ologies yeah that have exactly. to do with how to deal with people mm-hmm. you're learning how to analyze things you're mm-hmm. learning how to think learning how to write yeah um and, and you so, don't get that in business school probably not you don't Okay, as far as your, I know, I'll take word for it. I don't have an MBA, but <laughs> that's right. As far as I know, you know, and all the people that I know that are business, you know, have business masters or in business are like not very good business people. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but are you paying your people? Are you taking care of them? Because yeah. that's how this works, you know. It's like, oh, we got to cut the margins, and I'm like, yeah, okay, or make more money. Yeah. No, I read an interesting <laughs> article about Harvard Business School just yesterday of with um. Cheryl Sandberg, is that her name? The CEO of Facebook? Mm -hmm. About how Harvard Business School is all about, we produce leaders. Mm -hmm. But this article was like, there's this lack of moral norms that is taught in business school Mm -hmm. of um, just 
things that normal people would take for granted of they told this story of they were these people were going on some you know this amazing uh, mountain climb in the Himalayas or something like that and there was this dying person on the side of the road and this guy was and this guy in this article he was like how dare this person basically be on the side of the road dying and it's ruin like this like Samaritan one of these most powerful experience yeah but it's more much more callous than that yeah. like it was like how dare is how dare this person be dying when we were on this one of these most powerful experiences of our lives and this is like one of their famous <laughs> business school alums just this incredible lack of moral mm-hmm. norms or whatever that they teach in in the premier business school about leader. I'm not trying to bad mouth, not trying to bad mouth, Harvard <laughs> Business School, right? Larger problem, using them as an example, right? Yeah, this is sponsored by the Denver <laughs> Business School. <laughs> but just, you know, it's, it's interesting how sometimes there's that disconnect of, well, yeah. That just highlights the the sometimes broken nature of, of education, how it can be disconnected from real life. Right, and then I think about who goes to Harvard. Yeah, well, that's a different issue. Yeah, we have a lot of... Or, or goes to law school, right, yeah. to bring well, that back. <laughs> well, no, but I think, you know, especially Harvard, we're dealing with a lot of super white privilege, so yeah. not, there are people who are entitled anyway. <laughs> how dare you die? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, next page. Um, what pushed you to start your own firm? Yeah, so kind of, um, so I was kind of thinking about, I was, I was watching some of your other podcasts mm-hmm. and I was thinking about, okay, what nugget of wisdom do I have to offer? And I was like, okay, like, this is it. So what started me to start my own firm, what led me to start my own firm was um, kind of what you said about how accounting found you. Mm-hmm. Right? And this would kind of be one of my attempts to offer something to anyone who's listening to the podcast is, um, understanding how you're different from other people, mm-hmm. really. So I was leaving my previous firm and I was meeting with other estate planning attorneys trying to focus a little bit more on that than what I'd been able to in my previous firm. And I just uh, picked up on, between the interviews and then and networking meetings and discussions with my mentor who's mm-hmm. been practicing for, still practicing for about 46 years now as an estate planning attorney, um, I just, noticed that there was a disconnect between how most estate planning attorneys treat their clients and how I would like to be able to treat people, right? And Mm -hmm. so the very stereotypical estate planning attorney, it's a very transactional drive-through experience, Mm -hmm. right? You come in, you you have those discussions, you meet with them, they give you your documents, you give them your money, and you never talk to them again. Um, That's kind of that dynamic, Mm -hmm. at least stereotypically. And so for me, it was... I didn't want to be interacting with people mm-hmm. on such a super, as what I perceive to be a superficial level. Exactly. Um, but also recognizing that life is dynamic and it's not just clients' lives, but clients' loved ones' lives, right? Because really what an estate plan is, it's not about my client. It's mm-hmm. not for my clients. It's for my clients' loved ones who are gonna be getting everything after they're gone. Mm-hmm. And so changes in their life mm-hmm. can impact my client's estate plan. Something that happens that changes the confidence level that my clients have have in them whether mm-hmm. it decreases that confidence level or increases it that could change their estate plan and so recognizing the just the dynamic nature of life and mm-hmm. wanting to interact with people mm-hmm. um i wasn't i was just like there's got to be a better way and i felt like the best way to do that to implement those type of things that i would like to do and how i would like to be interacting with people and providing those legal services mm-hmm. and personal services that an estate planning attorney can provide 
the best way to do that would be uh, through starting my own firm. I completely understand. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what we do here. I mean, you can go anywhere and get a tax return. Yeah. And I always say, and we do tax returns because it's about the relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what's important to me and understanding, you know, how do we help you when things change mm -hmm. on the tax side? Um, and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of tax people don't think like that. And that's what makes yeah. us different. Exactly. We're helpers of people. We're not mm -hmm. transactional. Yeah. Anybody can do hundreds of tax returns. Yeah. So, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think, and I, you know, and I think that's being different is important, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like you said, what, what your your catchphrase is, I'm not going to tax say and it. accounting with personality. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so normally, so I've, I've kind of developed this like rules of of differentiators, mm -hmm. right? Where it's, um, and you're in the exception to the rule. Right. I'm going to preface with that. But very much so. <laughs> right. But if you if you sat down and listed all the ways in which you're different mm -hmm. from the stereotypical small business owner in the same industry as you. Right. If your differentiators come down to your shining personality mm -hmm. and price, mm -hmm. those don't count. Right. <laughs> like not really. Like for right. you, it's different. Right. right. Because you're saying... Because you're really hitting up against a very stereotype of accountants is that they don't have a personality, right? right? And so in that sense, that makes sense. But if you've lined up 10 different accountants or 10 different estate planning attorneys and you hear something like, I like to work with people who are just like me, mm -hmm. or I talk with financial advisors a lot, right? Mm -hmm, so they'll, t they'll, throw about, they'll throw out the whole thing of looking for the right fit for my client. Yes, we all have different personalities and we all have different fits, but that's not really a differentiator. Right. Right. That's not a long up that's not a long term viable differentiator. Not really. Right. At least in my opinion. Right. Well, right. And so in price the same thing. There's always someone who's cheaper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's really coming up with substantive value. Values, substantive differences mm -hmm. that makes you less of a charismatic organization, right? Because a charismatic organization is really just determined upon the person who's leading it, right? right? Simple example is uh, college sports or any type of sports, right? The coach makes the program, mm -hmm. right? It's going to be really, really interesting when, whenever you see the legends of a college football team, like Nick Saban, whenever mm -hmm. he retires. Did you see Urban Meyer? Urban, Urban Meyer. Meyer? Yeah, he's he's retiring. Oh, did he? Yeah, it did was he, like all over the TV Did he announce? Really? Okay, yeah. so this is gonna be really, really interesting. <laughs> he was like, this dumped right to No, this is gonna be really, really, I mean, it's, it's just a very, uh, it's a culture. It's a very cultural thing, mm -hmm. right? It's gonna be really, really interesting to see what Urban, what happens to, Ur to Ohio State after Urban Meyer retires. Mm -hmm. How is that program going to change? Or even Florida State when um, Bobby Bowden retired. 15 years later, they're still recovering because ultimately coaching is a charismatic organization. Right. Right. And charismatic organizations struggle to become mature businesses. They struggle. True. They're wholly dependent on the business owner themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And three to five, right? We're both in three to five. We talk about, talk this about stuff that all, all the, the time. All the time. <laughs> Charismatic organizations don't sell well. That's true. Right? Because they're, the value of the business is the owner. Mm -hmm. They don't have processes. They don't have any of those in the backbone yep. stuff. And even if they have that stuff, if the owner is the only person who's bringing in business, mm -hmm. it's not replicable. 
right from the new business owner comes in they don't have whatever it is that they need to be bringing in that business mm -hmm. because they don't have the business owner anymore i know i always tell right. people don't purchase a firm like unless yeah. it is a firm that is not just based on the owner it's like because yeah. you're going to have a major attrition mm -hmm. and are the clients you even want that are going to grow? yeah <laughs> like, right yeah because if all because your differentiator is your shining personality right what happens when a new shining and different shining personality steps in? You're going to exactly. get that attrition. Exactly. And so really coming up with substantive differences, ways in which you're different, right? And mm -hmm. so um, so for me, one of those is staying in touch with my clients. I proactively reach out to my clients on a consistent basis mm -hmm. after they've signed their estate planning documents because they're the life experts. I don't know what's going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. They're not the legal experts. They don't know. And no one, I don't, I don't do this newsflash um no one goes through life and thinks these are the estate planning ramifications of this life event that just happened like no one does that right and so trying to take that burden off of their shoulders mm -hmm. and so it's like hey what's going on in your life mm -hmm. and then let me tell you if that impacts your estate plan or not. exactly and that's a pretty substantive it's not my only one, right? So that's right. so the more substance of the differentiators you can mm -hmm. have, and then the more of them you can have. Right. And I've gotten to the point where I've identified maybe like five or six. That's awesome. Substantive differences, right? Um, which is good because the more different you are, yes. the easier it is to build the relationships, whether with referral sources, people who are willing to refer their clients to you, but mm -hmm. also with your clients themselves because they understand how different you are. Yeah. And it just makes building those relationships with with uh, with those different people, which mm -hmm. both you and I are, we're in that business of relationships in one way or the other, right? It's right. the money that we help manage, whether that's the the tax returns mm -hmm. or the all the different things that you do for your business owners mm -hmm. and that I do for my clients. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. So go figure, right? Um, oh, um, the money is not the end goal. Right. Right. For most people, most people aren't making money or passing the money down just for the sake of the money. There's some purpose. There's some meaning that they've attached to money mm -hmm. that they're working for in order to obtain, right? Whether as they're a small business owner, they want to pass on to their clients. Mm -hmm. And so helping people understand what those are, mm -hmm. right? And using that money really as a tool mm -hmm. and a means to an end is really what the business that, that we're in, those mm -hmm. financial services mm -hmm. industry, right? Because if, it, if it's just about the money, and you make it just about the money, you're at a significant competitive disadvantage to all the people who understand that there's this deeper meaning right. of, of money and they help well, people exchange address of, that. I always say it's an exchange of energy. Yeah. You know, you have all this energy, what are you gonna do with it? Or you don't have this energy, or what are we doing? You know, I always say, and I say this all the time, the mitigation of taxes is not enough reason to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, you gotta have another goal or mm -hmm. it has to do like purchasing this equipment or doing these things have to do something for you. Yeah. You know, if we're doing 401k plans, well then we're, you know, getting money to the owners, you know, yep. as best we can. So it always has to have a, another reason. Yeah. Completely. Tax mitigation isn't, I mean, it's okay. We're saving 30% to pay a hundred. Fabulous. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And eventually they're going to become dissatisfied. Yes. Or with with whatever whatever decision that they've made purely because of the money, they're going to become, they're going to become dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. Or it's just going to stop working. Right. Regardless. Right. And then they're going to end up being dissatisfied, right? right? Do you need a new truck every year? For example. <laughs> right. Exactly. Then we have a pile of trucks. Like, what are you doing with that pile of trucks? <laughs> That's right. 
Writing so, them off, apparently. Yes, apparently. What have been the big, biggest obstacles for starting your own business and being a business owner? Biggest obstacles? Uh-huh. Just building it. I know. I know that sounds really No, silly. that's totally fine. So. Um, <laughs> we all live this life. <laughs> yeah, right? And so for me, it was... So how law firms normally work is that partners bring in the business. I'm oversimplifying, right? But partners mm -hmm. bring in the business and the associates do the business. Mm -hmm. So in my previous firm, I was an associate. So I did the work. Yep, I understand. Right? So when I started my firm, I think I had one person in my network. And so building that network um, and then because again, kind of tied into that whole differentiator right. idea, right? So because I had had a pretty decent idea of what my differentiators are, and as I've built upon them, mm -hmm. building the network hasn't been that hard because professionals understand the different ways in which I do things, mm -hmm. right? And it's not just, like I said, I have five or six, not just the relationship thing, right? And right. so if you're starting out new and they already have a relationship with somebody, it kind of makes it easy to, to put it too bluntly to kind of steal that relationship because they realize that you're better even if you've been practicing for two years right or two months right and so for me it's just it just takes time right and those ups and downs right the the, the lows are lower than your highs mm -hmm. right and so you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> those existential crises yeah. every once in a while i'm just like i'm just having a business existential crisis today and That's it's right. okay yeah. tomorrow will be better <laughs> Yeah, and so for me, it's probably the one of the toughest things for me is sometimes too closely identifying my personal self worth mm -hmm. with the worth of business, right? Because yes, that's we, a huge obstacle, right? So, and I can't speak for anybody else, right? So, mm, but I think most of us do. Well, that. no, so at least for this, right? right? So I have three young kids, right? And so my wife stays home, mm -hmm. and so all of that pressure to take care of my family is on me, yep. right? And some people, it. some families are like that, some families aren't, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, it's I'm failing to fulfill my family, my responsibilities to my family, right? One job. <laughs> you had one job. That's right. <laughs> the, you, the Twitter one job. Meme, you had one job. Um, and so, so there was a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of responsibility there. Um, and, uh, and so when, when I, you see those lows starting to happen, right, and yeah. you're in the middle of, the, of those lows, um, it can get tough, right? And so we... We've certainly had those. We've had some of those, um, you know, last around this time last year was one of the hardest times of our lives mm -hmm. because just the work stopped coming in. And, and we're in a much better place now mm -hmm. this year, um, thankfully. But we had a lot of soul searching to do last year. And, it's hard. Yeah. And we ended up having to get some help from, from people to make, to help make all those ends meet and stuff like that. And so, um, so I've had to learn to temper my pot my optimistic projections into the future uh -huh. and disconnect my personal worth from the business worth so to deal hard. with those those other sides right yeah of when those lows are low right <laughs> yes. it doesn't mean that i'm a terrible person right. there's something to improve somewhere right. in there but it doesn't mean that i'm a failure just yet and that's really just kind yet. of just yet right <laughs> just yet. and I, i'm not not fully like recovered part. right i'm not fully recovered from all this stuff and so and part of it is pride all right like i didn't want to have to admit that i had failed because i would have failed or... yeah and so it, it was so for me it was hard because i didn't want to have to admit mm -hmm. that i had failed mm -hmm. and for me that's just really really hard that that's that a bridge too far of self-awareness, right? That I was just not 
able to do. Unfortunately, we were able to pull out of it really uh, relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but that's probably been the hardest is that emotional side. And you develop new things. Like I have so much more grit than I did three years ago mm -hmm. because I hadn't had to develop it, right? Whether it was latent within myself and it mm -hmm. just kind of not been exercised yet or if it didn't exist at all, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's kind of irrelevant. But the point yeah. is that I developed it, right? Yeah. And so um, emotional grit, work ethic grit, financial creativity to you know deal with everything right and figure it out and it's all personal development yeah and, and it all comes down into that so that's that's probably the the what i would say is probably the the biggest thing i think it's awesome you know the business owners that are that are able to learn like personally from like yeah. who they are because you learn a lot when you're a business owner about a lot of things that you didn't ever think that you would learn, yeah. especially about yourself <laughs> and how you run businesses or yeah. how you deal with people or, you know, where your holes are, you know, yeah. the holes in your education or the holes in your knowledge. Um, yeah. I mean, I've had the business for five years and I would say I'm probably a completely different, you know, like yeah. I'm a different person than I was five years ago in a good yeah. way. Sure. Because I've done all that personal development mm -hmm. because trying to build a business is going through some fire yeah always is <laughs> always so, is always is and it's always interesting to see business owners who aren't very self-aware right right and i say interesting in a sad you know, negative kind of way right because i've seen those right oh, some yeah, of the I most a lot of those you know one one of the most unself-aware people i've ever met was a former job a former boss of mine mm -hmm. and it's been interesting to see how where he came from and where he's gone right mm -hmm. and with just with everything, with, with the business personally and, and the decisions that he makes, right? Um, a lot of it is just that, that inability or unwillingness or whatever, right? I'm, I don't, I'm not a psychologist. To, to take responsibility, to be that self-introspective, to be looking in himself and seeing what he can really right. be doing better. Something's just, not working here. What is it? Yeah. Could it be me? Yeah. Yes. So I also it's really interesting to see that. One of those. Yeah. What have been the greatest successes? For you, other than you know, the personal development piece, yeah, you feel like that's one of them. I would say that is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, other successes, um, I would say, some of the successes that I'm most proud about, honestly, is developing those those differentiators. Right. Um, so one that came from this year is probably one of my biggest ones. Is kind of tied into that last sentence of my bio, mm -hmm. is helping my clients identify and pass on their values. So a lot of people, when they look at, when they think about estate planning, it's a legal way to pass on their financial assets when they pass away. Mm -hmm. But there are some really, really interesting statistics about how successful that is. So one, um, and when I say successful, that, that'll make sense here in a minute, right? Mm -hmm. So statistics are 80% of descendants come to view their inheritance as a burden in their lives. Oh, wow. Only 10% view it as a blessing, and the other 10% are undecided. Which I think is still kind of a failure, right? Right. They're um, apathetic about it. Yeah, or, or whatever. Uh -huh. um, inheritances are spent on average within 24 months, and a third of Americans have negative savings within 24 months of receiving an inheritance. Oh wow! It's like the yeah. lottery statistic. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is, and so it's. Because you didn't earn it. Yeah, and so to me, what a lot of that stuff says is, is that there's an additional aspect of this transfer of wealth because mm -hmm. it's a massive transfer of wealth. I think the baby boomers are going to be passing on about $40 trillion to their children, which is 
I'm not going to get anything close to that. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, you know, I mean, we think Jeff you know, Jeff Bezos is is fabulously wealthy, and he, he is. He is. 150 billion or whatever. Mm-hmm. 100, 200 billion is you do the math. 200 billion into, into 40 trillion is what half of one percent or something like that. Down to head math, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I can and do so, two plus two. Look, yeah. I need a calculator. <laughs> That's right. But it's still a very small percentage of what's going to be passed on. Maybe it's five percent. It might be five percent. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and so, to to me, what those statistics really say is there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And so, which which I think is this values side. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like that culture because mm-hmm. there are other studies that show when descendants feel loved, when they feel trusted, when they feel appreciated, mm-hmm. when they feel by their parents or whoever they're receiving that money from, or if they feel grateful for what they've received, it actually serves as an antidote mm-hmm. to feeling entitled to your inheritance, becoming dependent upon your inheritance or becoming disengaged or disinterested mm-hmm. from life because of your inheritance. Oh. And so it's this actually this qualitative emotional value side that gives that money power, right? Wow. Yeah. And so in the, so this it's fascinating. Right? It is fascinating. <laughs> it is super fascinating. And so in this burden side it can be a financial burden, emotional, mental, relational burden, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different experiences that you can come up with that where it's um you know, just a, a relational burden. If you have a sibling mm-hmm. who is a trustee of a trust, and so they're saying yes or no to their other siblings about what money they're going to be getting away from the trust, that could cause some friction, right? Not always, mm-hmm. right? But it could cause a relational burden. Um, I've heard some stories of people who um, they've received an inheritance from a grandparent and they're frozen by that. They don't want to spend it at all because they don't want to feel like they're benefiting from grandma dying. Mm. So there's this, this emotional burden, and the money is actually isn't able to enrich and um, enrich their lives and empower them to reach and do something else because they have this emotional burden that just paralyzes them. Mm-hmm. Or you have people who have bad spending habits who quit jobs or relapse into addictions because they've gotten money outright or whatever that may be. And so that's probably one been one of my business one of my my biggest differentiators that I'm most proud of is. Um, finding ways to help people identify Mm -hmm. and express, record, pass on their values. And I use values broadly, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's um, uh, telling your child how you've won the child lottery. Mm -hmm. So expressing love to them or Mm -hmm. giving them a gift of wisdom of Mm -hmm. saying, this is how we've chosen to live our lives. This Mm -hmm. is how we've, uh, whether it's interacted with money or overcome difficult, challenging times in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Or I have an exa- I came across an example that another attorney shared with me. He, um, this father shared with his, with his children this really, really interesting anecdote mm-hmm. about um, either their uncle or his uncle, right? So he's like, I never want you to forget the example of your uncle John. He had the, he had the opportunity to serve in the U.S. Senate, but he rejected it. Instead of working in halls of Congress, he chose to work on the front lines, on the streets to help people Mm -hmm. because he preferred the anonymity and he felt like he could do more good on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And the last line is is the real kicker. I was like, I never want you to forget our family's um, legacy of selfless service. Jeez. (laughs) 
But, like, right? Yeah, you're not going to go spend every penny after that. Exactly. <laughs> right? Because you're you're giving direction to all that stuff. Yeah. Or another example, just me personally. Mm-hmm. So as I'm going through and I'm developing all this stuff, you know, I, I'm just, you know, light bulbs are going off. Right. Angels are singing. <laughs> like, this is incredible. <laughs> Got to do this for myself, right? Um, I was like, okay, let's let's do a little run test, a mm-hmm. little dry run with 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 me for my for, uh, and my family. It's like, okay, Brandon, name the f- top five things that are important to your dad. Mm-hmm. I came up with three. <laughs> I came up with family, faith, and what I call financial frugality. Yeah. So that was like in September. So this is really really recent. My parents came into town the first weekend in October. I turned to my dad. I was like, hey, dad, what are the top five things that are important to you? And he ca- he said, family. Um, honesty, integrity, mm-hmm. and I honestly already I already forgot what the other two were. <laughs> and I was like, oh, not the ones you bought. <laughs> no, and I was like, oh man, I would have put I would have said faith in there. It's like, oh okay, yeah, that's true. I would have done that. And so let's combine honesty and integrity because you could say those two are the same. Thing. Yes, similar. And so and I was like, okay, well, I also said financial frugality, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I wouldn't have called it that. It wasn't part of his top five, even after I had mentioned it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I wouldn't have called it financial frugality. I would call it financial stewardship, mm-hmm. which is a completely different meaning from yes. financial frugality. And so to me, that highlighted a couple things is one, we're not very proactive. And I say no. this as a parent, right? <laughs> Just period. Per- parenting <laughs> is so incredibly reactive to life situations. We don't debrief right. what those experiences mean, or we don't proactively brief our children on what matters to us, or in some ways, why, mm-hmm. right? Because that why is the fun stuff, yeah. right? And so um, we don't do that. And then really what we're concerned about is memory loss. Two months, three, maybe, you know, two months later, I already have forgotten two of the five things that my dad said. I only remember one. Yeah. If that's not recorded, mm-hmm. it's already gone. Right. So how well am I going to be able to remember that two or three decades after my dad's gone or how, or two or three generations after my dad is right. gone? How well are my children going to be able to remember that? But if it's recorded, mm-hmm. if it's shared whether regardless of whether or not it's actually connected to any distribution of money Mm -hmm. um, then you're combating against this memory loss issue so that our uh, my children can read about their grandfather right Mm -hmm. because there are other studies that have shown that when um, children youth when they understand their family history when they understand stories of their ancestors Mm -hmm. actually makes them gives them more grit more ability to confront family, uh, just life challenges. I've read that. Yeah, exactly, right? And so it's it's family history, but now, mm-hmm. right? And so in a lot of ways is what I'm doing is um, saying, share your values, mm-hmm. whether or not it's regarded to a distribution of mm-hmm. money. And if it is tied to a distribution, it's who gets how much and mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. but helping them explain why. why? That makes that's huge, and so, and that's where the real power is, right? Where you don't have children feel like they're some tax scheme, mm-hmm. because that's how the estate plan was designed Good. to save on taxes. But that's not necessarily the primary reason, right? The primary reason, which is kind of implicit, is you're the beneficiary of the trust. We're giving it to you mm-hmm. for a reason, but it's not explicit. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, oh, it's this certain type of trust. This is why mom and dad are giving it to me rather than they love me, right? right. But explaining why um, is is probably 
part one of my one of my biggest successes part two is really interesting is taking it a step further which is family governance so not just helping my clients hmm. express what matters to them mm -hmm. but really you also have an issue of engagement how do you get kids engaged with family values right so hypothetically if you have two parents who care about charitable giving to the Colorado Food Bank or whatever. Mm -hmm. And every year they give, let's just say $100 to Colorado Food Bank. But they don't get the children involved. You're running the risk of having a loss of values mm -hmm. from generation to generation because the children never got engaged. But if you get them engaged, and philanthropy is actually a really interesting idea, right? Because it's something that even little kids can understand. You could do this with your kids, right? Mm -hmm. Is creating a philanthropy or charitable giving or call whatever you want counsel with your family mm -hmm. and engage your kids in coming up with a proposal mm -hmm. of this is our family budget for charitable giving mm -hmm. children we want you to come up with a proposal for x amount of money to what organization and why you feel like they should receive it and so think about all the different personality and talents mm -hmm. that they will be developing. They're learning how to identify good charities. Mm -hmm. And there's Which a lot of there's a lot of tools out there for that. They're learning how to present in public, even mm -hmm. if it is to family members, because they have to present it mm -hmm. and write stuff and think analytically. And then they're part of the council that then turns around and makes the decision on who to give that money or time to, right? And as a family, you can come up That's with really how you want to do that, right? And so you're, from the very beginning, you're getting that engagement. Mm -hmm. And so you start with something as easy as philanthropy, mm -hmm. or you have a continuing education executive committee that could be just you and your husband for right now. What are mm -hmm. our knowledge-based blind spots that we have that we can develop as a family to improve upon? Mm -hmm. Whether that's something astronomy or something yeah. that's more kid appropriate mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then eventually your kids, as they grow older, they gain a larger um, buy-in because of their experiences into um, the family dynamic. It's, it could be, where are we going on vacation? How much should we be budgeting? How are we gonna budget and save for that where they learn how to mm -hmm. budget? Or what is our family budget? Yes. Even broadly, right? Or even more interestingly, and this is one of the first exercises that I've kind of been developing on my own. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of resources out there. I'm not, and all of this stuff of value-centered planning and family governance, I am not an original thinker. No. There's so many beautiful things out there that I'm just applying, yeah, right? Adapting. Right. Mm -hmm. Speaking of adapting, so one of the things is that I'm kind of developing is, um, so in three to five, we have a two-page strategic plan, right? right? On the first page is What's the why? What's the values of the business? Why does the company exist? What's the what, right? So the why is the vision statement. Mm -hmm. the, the mission statement is the what. What result do you get for your clients? And then you have your strategies of what are you gonna do over the next year or two to um, achieve and fulfill your mission statement, which is should be tied into your mm -hmm. vision statement, right. right? That's the first page, and on the second page is you have your 12-month objectives and your quarterly and monthly action plans, right? So for those that are listening, like right? So family. they know what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. We have for a mission, vision, family. values for yeah. our family. We did that through Love and Logic Parenting Training. Good. Yeah. Uh, which we need to go back to. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Conversation for another day. Right. Another day. But, you know, they, they suggest doing that. Yeah. Um, but and then, like, how do you meet that vision? Huh? That's the next step. Yep. 
And so that's like what I'm doing is yep, helping create a two-page strategic plan for families. That's for them cool. to be able to sit down and what is their value system? And getting, I mean, every children should be involved in that, yeah. right? I'm four-year-old twins and a two-year-old. If they're not involved, right. we're failing them, right? right? What is that vision? What's the mission for the family? What, how does, how, how do we want our family to better the world around us? Mm -hmm. And what benefits, what results is the family unit going to achieve for the individual family members? And then how are the individual family members going to come back and share with the broader family unit what they've learned, mm -hmm. right? Because the family is not just their financial capital, but it's also intellectual capital, mm -hmm. which is what people know, mm -hmm. right? And then human capital is who the individual family members are. Right, and really the financial capital is a tool mm -hmm. to increase the intellectual and human capital of the family, right? Your mm -hmm. money should help improve what you know and who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so helping the family unit enhance and enrich the individual family members' lives and increase their human and intellectual capital, they turn around and share with the broader family, whether that's through mentorship or just annual family get-togethers or whatever that may be mm -hmm. to say this is how I've increased my intellectual and human capital and share it with the broader family unit so that they are learning from each other rather than reinventing the wheel and going through the same experience mm -hmm. right they're learning from each other and everyone so that rising tide lifts all boats wow right and so it's really really fun stuff which is why my <laughs> really fun stuff. right so, so my why on my two-page strategic plan, mm -hmm. and it's kind of in my bio, is helping family units and individual family members reach their potential, which is maximizing That's huge. their human and intellectual capital, right? Mm -hmm. Which doesn't sound very estate planning. It doesn't sound very estate planning lawyer, Larry. Right? And so, but that's a pretty big differentiator. It's a huge is if you have a, If you have an estate planning attorney who's only talking to you about passing on your money and nothing else, and someone who's talking about something else more than that, mm -hmm. depending on your mentality, you may think right. that's a whole bunch of woo-woo hogwash. Right. Which I've had people who've pretty much said that. That's fine. <laughs> and that's fine too, right? And that's Not where a that, good fit. Totally fine. And that's where fit comes in, mm -hmm. right? But there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. You know, I talked to some clients last month, and it was almost just me and the husband. Mm -hmm. He's like, my wife has ADD. This mm -hmm. bores her to death. <laughs> No interest. I was like shocked when I saw her come in. <laughs> By the end, 100% buy-in from her mm -hmm. because she got it. Right. And she understood it. And she turned to him. And at the end, he was like, well, I don't know about this whole value-centered thing. I don't know if I feel the need to do it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, uh, yes. Like 100% <laughs> veto. She was like, I've been telling our kids for forever about how I don't want their inheritance to be a burden. Right. And she said that exactly. And so it was like the, the stars aligned of what she's been saying to her kids and what I just told her. Mm -hmm. Like she recognize that as the answer to what she's just intuitively understood was a concern for her yeah but she wasn't expecting to receive that type of a, of a solution from someone like me mm -hmm. um but i'm in a estate planning attorneys are in a perfect position to be able to do that yes because we're dealing we are dealing with life i mean i've, I've had friends come in and you know friends that i've known for years and i've learned things about them within five minutes as their attorney that I had no idea about as their friend. Right. Right. And so I have some friends as clients too. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to know all this stuff about <laughs> that's you. Right. <laughs> that's right. And so it's, so that's, those are my, my biggest successes. I love that. I, that. Feel like. I love that. So that's so good. 
Yeah, I've always said, too, so I've said this in the last one where we had in the state tournament, but I'm the executor of all the wills. Yeah. All three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Four of them. I don't know how many there are. <laughs> um, and I just kept, kept being like, why? But I've always yeah. told my parents and my husband's parents, just have enough to get you through the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, we don't, like, I don't even want to do and on the back end. It does make your life easier. Right? Like, don't I don't want to have to, you know, all my stepbrothers and my brothers, and I, because I have halves and steps, and, yeah. you know, I have this whole Tons of fun. pile of siblings, like, on either ends. So it's like, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> well, the good news is, is your parents and your parents-in-law have already decided who's going, what's going to where. Yeah, I don't know. Or I haven't actually, I haven't actually physically cracked open said wills like i haven't even looked at them they're all just like sealed still because i want you don't to want to think about it i want to know that's understandable <laughs> it's like i'll worry about it when i need it <laughs> yeah i get it but yeah that's really interesting okay so before i ask you my last question okay what is or where is the easiest uh place for people to find you easiest place so um www.rains r-a-i-n-s dash law.com all right and we'll put that in the description box yep. in my email okay. so because I, I assume you're going to put that in the description box yeah too. and i'm or not should i just give it you can if you want okay. just brandon at rains dash law.com easy peasy yep all right r-a-i-n-s there's R-A-I-N-S. no e <laughs> it's just like the weather everyone spells it wrong it just rains. I'm not offended. Just, yes, it rains. rains. The rains in Spain fall mostly on the pens. So I think I know what you're going to answer, but what is the one crucial thing people are missing in their estate plan? That values piece? Well, a lot of people are just missing an estate plan, period. Um, I think, I mean. Let's start there. (laughs) Yeah, the the numbers vary Mm -hmm. from from study to study, but, you know, you're probably pretty comfortable if you say that the majority of Americans don't have an estate plan at all. Mm -hmm. And so step one. That's true. Yeah. I don't have one. <laughs> you've had two estate planning attorneys in here and they're two like you guys are like two of my favorite people too. yeah matt mcclintock is one of the most technically talented estate planning he, sure like, he does stuff like every day that i've like barely even heard of yeah. and so yeah you're gonna uh, love his he goes he, up next week <laughs> yeah no he's he's very technically talented yeah so um mm-hmm. yeah so number one just having an estate plan just doing the thing yeah doing the thing and then two as i would say most people it's the values um, I mean, it's pretty complicated. I mean, I could get on a soapbox. I see a yeah. lot of I see a lot of impersonal language in trusts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of clients say, "Yeah, this is how the money is going to our kids. We had no role in deciding how it's going to our kids," which to me just sirens go off like crazy. I was like, I could never, as an attorney, imagine making those decisions for somebody else on behalf of my clients and saying, "This is what's best for your family." You know, or I've had someone's like, yeah, you know, I've, I've had, I've heard one attorney say, and I don't want to come off as critical, but um, a third goes to kids when they're turned 25, other third turns when they're 30, and the rest goes when they're 35. These are just transactional. These are people who just do transactions. Yeah. And I'm just like, and it was like, well, maybe they're not ready when they're 25, but maybe they'll be ready when they're 30. And I almost like. Depends on the person. I almost keeled over. (laughs) I was like, that is that. I mean, that's haphazard. It is very happy. I mean, that's that's so, I don't know. Yeah. It's so whatever. Insert adjective here, right? <laughs> of whatever you think is right. <laughs> lazy. So, Let's go with lazy. You said it, not me. <laughs> that's okay. And so, that's my role a lot of the time. It's right. just to 
the truth. Yeah. It's and so lazy. and so that would probably I would say is like one B mm-hmm. is knowing that you can take control over what your estate plan looks like. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're not having those conversations of distributions, like that's could be a problem. Right. I'll just leave it at that. It could be a problem. Okay. And so <laughs> and then that third one is the values, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a layered progression right. thing. So get your estate plan done. Yes. And have a role in it. Mm-hmm. And know why you're giving people money. Correct. And explain why. Is that a good synopsis? Yeah, that's fair. Awesome. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having or thanks for having me. No, thanks. That's right. <laughs> I feel like you taught me so much I was today. To say. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Anytime. We'll do it again next week. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. No, thank I you for having it. me. So and and we will have to do this again, but for you. Have me this time. Yeah, I, think I will that host. Was, that was it because we were like, you're like, That's I'm just right. gonna host you, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we can do that, that next sounds time. Great. Yeah, you're just prepping mentally, <laughs> just prepping to be ready, ready to be had. <laughs> right. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank awesome. you. Hey y'all, thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you're interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.